0: Of course, we all continue to need to eat during personal crises, even when we lose our appetite. But food can be a balm as well as something off-putting. We talked to food journalist and nursing student April Hamilton about the life-giving properties of food. It's on Tip of the Tongue. of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. So welcome, April. Thanks, Liz. So you have such an interesting life, and some is good and some is bad, I mean, as we've all suffered through that. But one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about is the story of why you decided to go to nursing school, going from being a food writer and all the things that that means to writing uh, to being a nurse?
1: Yeah. That is a great question. I'm raised three daughters, so I'm, I'm, you know, kind of always been in the nurturing spirit. My husband has a tendency to get injured from time to time. He like, does a lot of, <laughs> of activities, so I've had, you know, some nursing experience. And then you may know my primary nursing experience came quite by literal accident when uh, my daughter had a seven-story fall from her apartment building in New York City in 2019. Can you tell us? How that happened? Yeah, so, you know, in New York City, everybody, you don't have a backyard or a front porch, and so the rooftops are this sacred outdoor space, and her apartment was advertised as having a private rooftop deck and didn't have any railings. Yeah. So she was up there with her friends and was too close to the edge and fell to the ground seven stories down, just literally landed on her feet and what we know is that she probably did something called elevatoring which is like she scraped the side of the brick with her right quad because she had this kind of road rash on that and surely that slowed her fall oh my god somewhat but she um, broke all kinds of bones and was in icu for 40 days and in in and out of other hospitals for four consecutive months. All of this was in New York? All, all The first three months were in New York. And then we moved her to a specialized rehab hospital in Houston that became highly recommended. And I just was ready to get closer to home. As they say, I needed to scrape New York City off the bottom of my shoes uh-huh. and did. I mean, a, a, a blessing to be there with her and a blessing that it was 2019 when there were no visitation restrictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we count every single blessing and I don't even call it a tragedy. I mean, she her life is different, but she survived and she's just amazing. She amazes everyone in her path. And so, sure, it was trauma and, and we'll all always have that PTSD. There are still things that kind of trigger me and she gets triggered routinely. But she is off living really her best life, you know, as best she can. On a in a New York City apartment back So again. she's back in New York. She's back in New York. And one month after I moved her, I was here in New Orleans. I came to that wonderful olive oil cocktail event that was right here at SoFab and then went over to Loyola School of Nursing to hear Brett Anderson speak about kind of the re- restaurant industry in New Orleans and, and beyond a little bit. And it was just super fascinating. But as I was leaving, the dean of the nursing school just kind of was like, hey, we're about to start this accelerated BSN if, if you're interested in nursing school. Because I think I actually initiated it by saying, I've toyed with the idea of nursing school. So that was that. She handed me the card of the director, who was director at the time, and I called her. She told me the prereqs that were required. So all of 2022, I took one science class after another, after another, to get Up to speed with the hard sciences. Mm -hmm. And then was accepted to this program and started in January. It's four semesters. And, I mean, cooking has saved me through the process. I'm I'm a procrastinator. When I was in college, (laughs) the first time around in the 80s, Emmett Smith, the football player you may know from Dallas Cowboys, played for the University of Florida where I got my undergrad degree. And he stopped by my apartment while I was baking cookies because he was with one of my friends from my hometown. So Emmett Smith, I think some of your listeners will know. (laughs) But, you know, procrastinating for sure. So I just, I feel like, uh, this is true, a day without cooking is a day without sunshine. And cooking really got me through the trauma in New York where I could escape from the hospital we never ever left my daughter she was never left alone in the hospital but you had an apartment in your she life. had her apartment oh, I call it apartment. Uh-huh. the abandoned apartment apartment on the fifth floor <laughs> collecting dust but I would go in there and cook from time to time and go uh-huh. to the super duper overpriced grocery on the corner but a godsend you know to have Sure. And they had Adel's Dewey, so I made some jambalaya and I thought maybe she'll eat this but it soothed me making it just the chopping and the sizzling and the fragrances and then rush it over to the hospital, which was just a couple blocks over. Very excellent location if you are, you know, a trauma <laughs> victim. But her friends loved it. They, lo- I mean, they were scraping the bottom of the pot, and she wouldn't touch it. But she just, she had no appetite. She, oh, and she, she was, was on drugs. She, was, she, on she was on tons yeah, of, yeah, yeah. It was, it was wild. It was super wild.
0: So before this accident. Yes. What was your
1: undergraduate degree in? How did you get into food writing
0: to begin with?
1: Great question. So I um, was born in the kitchen a long time ago in Florida. Love have always loved cooking. Um, When I first was married, early 90s, I wrote a little handwritten cookbook of just like kind of our our favorites. And um, we had moved pretty much right out of college. We moved to Charleston, West Virginia. Kind of random. Ended up loving it. Stayed 24 years. And along the way, I picked up different kind of cooking things. I cooked with a caterer. I was sort of her sous chef manager of events. And that was really a nice flexible schedule that I could do with with my, you know, school-age children. And then I did a little stint with Farm to School. I was an AmeriCorps volunteer with Farm to School because I'm super passionate about cooking with children, where does your food come from, all that stuff. And Jamie Oliver, you may remember, was in West Virginia in 2009 and 10. And I just cleared my calendar to go to Huntington an hour from Charleston and hang out with that whole scene because it's still a problem today that we are feeding our children poison in some of the schools. I can't, you know, it's not a blanket statement, but I love everything like that the Edible Schoolyard is doing here and, of course, in Berkeley where it started. So when I moved here—well, I'll, I'll back up in a second—but when I moved here, I found out that Edible Schoolyard, they were looking for some volunteers for one of their little a It was a cooking competition uh, okay. event, and then they were having a family day. So I kind of just started coming over here um, a couple times because I was not sure what I was going to do with a high schooler who I've just uprooted at age 16 to move to Baton Rouge where it's nice and warm and the people are so friendly. So twenty four years in Charleston, toward the end of that and the farm to school and the um, Jamie Oliver and the taught some cooking classes, cooking classes in the libraries with kids. The newspaper was hiring a lifestyle in writer. Baton Rouge. No in Charleston, in Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. It was like lifestyle reporter. And I'm like, can I fake my way through fashion and gardening? I don't think so. (laughs) But um, I just went in anyway. I'm like, I'm going to throw my name in the hat and just see what happens. And the editor of the whole paper said, you're so into food. Why don't you just do a freelance column from home? And so I did. And I wrote every Sunday for three years until we moved to Baton Rouge. And I thought, maybe I'll do a column here. But it was really all about getting my daughter situated Then it was the floods of 2016 was the week that we moved here. Um, What I ended up kind of falling into was I started a cooking club at a boarding school for at-risk youth called Thrive Academy, and that was wonderful and rewarding, and then I also was doing some cooking classes with um, the Red Stick Farmers Market in schools and at the market, and just all of that was wonderful. It was great, and then my daughter fell off a building, and I just had to eject and say, I don't know. Actually, two days before her accident, I was offered my dream job with like the Healthy Baton Rouge Coalition, and it was, we would like for you to shoot some cooking videos, write recipes, write blog posts, name your price. I mean, they had gotten some big grant. And I said, okay, I'm going um, to Jazz Fest this weekend and then home to Florida for Mother's Day the next. When I come up after all that stuff, I will have this proposal to you. Well, literally two days later. No, it just yeah, it that didn't, didn't happen. happen. And I tried again to get reengage with them, but then my daughter got an infection and she needed another surgery. And she she probably had at least ten revision surgeries after we moved her back home, um, including bone infections. And she lost her dominant hand. That was early on in the in the trauma. She had blood clots in her wrist. So I am well versed in amputation and prosthetics and kitchen and nurturing and um, you know I can say these things with a smile today I mean there were some dark blackout tunnels in this you know period of unknown and and true trauma but we are we are all doing really well. So,
0: so then you decided that you were still, you were doing some food writing because oh, yeah. you wrote
1: about my book, you wrote, yeah. it,
0: you've done, done some food yeah, writing. Yeah, so
1: when I first moved to Baton Rouge, I guess I'd been here maybe six months or so, the, um, at the time, editor <coughs> of the Register Magazine, Callie Bozeman, saw my Instagram post or something and she reached out and said, hey, I see you're kind of a food person From a different place, would you be interested in writing for us? Just kind of how you got here and your perspective on the food scene in Baton Rouge. So I did that one, and that was fun and great. And then I just didn't keep pursuing it. And then she asked me again to do a Christmas one, and it was going to be our first Christmas in Louisiana. So I wanted to, like, zhuzh up the menu a little Uh bit. We do this traditional menu every year. Every time, no, well, I'm not allowed to, to change anything. To vary yes. off of that. And so I'm like, okay, you guys, we're going to do like a blackened beef tenderloin. We're going to do like sweet potato, Hasselback sweet potato in cast iron with this like spicy cream sauce. And they were just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> But I did do it for the magazine. And it was, we probably had just like a little weeknight dinner party after the photo shoot. So, um, yeah, and then I wrote, for, for them in register and country roads quite a bit on and off over you know 2017 18 19 i had just submitted pieces for the may issues of country roads and in register when my daughter had her accident and we were gone for three months pretty much consecutively so when i got home there were stacks of magazines in my house i'm like oh right i, re- I did that i wrote that stuff yeah but it was just you know you just kind of have to get back in gear day at a time, um, but the cooking, I'll tell you, saved me, and I would be remiss to say, um, well, we didn't get through this on our own, we had so many supporters, like our neighbors kept our dog for three months, mm-hmm. um, fed us any opportunity they they could, like if we popped in for a weekend or something like that, or my my husband was kind of coming and going. Mm-hmm. So they just they took care of us. All our friends back in West Virginia took great care of us. Family members came from all over to come visit in the hospital. And once we brought Riley home, all her friends came again and again and again from all over the place. Like, she never lived here. She didn't have a single friend, really, mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge. They kept us buoyed, and it was awesome.
0: So now that you're close to graduating? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you're going to be combining nutrition and cooking with your nursing?
1: Yes, 100%. The more I am exposed to chronic illness and especially things that can be prevented, it's like we can can fix, we can prevent. We talk a lot about um, health promotion and disease prevention and I also was raised in the kitchen and that food is the foundation. And I'm not, you know, a total purist or health food freak, but I, you know, I love a good home-cooked meal. I love dining out in the exquisite restaurants all around Louisiana. But, you know, cooking in your kitchen, it's just a way to anchor the family and your friends. And you can make healthy food taste really great. And I think the minute you use that word healthy, it gets a bad rap. You oh, know, yeah, people, people expect it to taste they, bad. They think it tastes like cardboard. Right. Yeah. Right. So we had this awesome opportunity with my nutrition class. In the first semester, we went to the Goldring Center for Culinary Medicine and took a cooking class. And I'm just like, like, okay, I I definitely want to get that certification. And that, I believe, was started at at Tulane and Goldring, that whole concept. And it's really caught on around the country. There's Mm -hmm. two programs actually in West Virginia. So I can see myself re-engaging with my whole community from West Virginia, where I had this foundation. Like I don't want to leave. I am a snow phobe at mm-hmm, this point, mm-hmm. especially like I can't, can't do it. So that was the only thing that really chased me away from West Virginia was the snow. Uh, snow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I could understand that. I don't think
0: I would like to live permanently anywhere yeah. with snow, but. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your book. Yeah, thank. And I'm really fascinated with the idea of healthy cooking and having that be something that really is that the one <laughs> that would help with people with with various kinds of diseases. Yeah, because I I know that we could talk about diabetes or something sure. like that type t- type two diabetes yeah. and the kinds of diets people have to be on in order to control their insulin and all of that. But what other kinds of diseases do you think that are affected by
1: the way people eat? I mean, definitely heart disease, coronary artery disease. You can, if you have too much weight on your frame, you can blow all your joints, knee replacements, hip replacements. You can get cancer. I mean, some foods, frankly, cause cancer. So, you know, I'm not the medicine man or anything over here, but mm-hmm. I just, I believe, and I, what I like to say is I was raised on fresh fish, farm stands, and mom's fried chicken. And every Sunday we had fried chicken, homemade. We went to the farm stand on the weekend, and my brothers caught fresh fish in the ocean across the street from our house. So
0: do, do you, like, make everything from scratch? Like, do you make your own mayonnaise or do you make ketchup and you know all of
1: that? Absolutely not.
0: So okay. <laughs> um, I was
1: raised on homemade mayonnaise. Uh-huh. Um, I well, not just I just don't love mayonnaise, which mm-hmm. is blasphemy to someone like Mason Hereford. <laughs> right. The right. king of right. Duke. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. But he's not here right now. He's not so. here right now. Yeah. We're have to, no. Yeah. So you know, mayonnaise has its place, for sure, but I don't I'm not gonna make it. My mom made it delicious. I've tried. It breaks in the blender. I don't like. So, no, I keep my jar of mayo in there. Ketchup. I like that now that they're having like lower sugar ketchups. Because, I mean, ketchup is like sweet tomato, really. Uh Uh But I like it. You know, I like like the jalapeno one that's not, Mm -hmm. doesn't have a lot of sugar in it. I have, you know, made all these things. I've made hot sauce. I do love a good homemade salsa. I have made butter, which is, the best moisturizing cream for your hands once you like start <laughs> kneading it after you've whipped it in the KitchenAid so with this book it it was written specifically for a women's health conference in Charleston, West Virginia and women, women healthcare workers from around the state were coming in for this conference and I was invited to be the closing speaker with a cooking demonstration and they'd like to buy my book. Well I had a column at the time and I had my dear writing coach, the late, great Molly O'Neill, but I didn't have a cookbook. And Molly's like, you can do it. You can do it. We can do this. Let's do it. And she held my hand through this really quick process. And it's just sort of like my greatest hits, easy, every night stuff. And it is specifically designed to go to one store. I mean, I like to go to the farmer's market, the fish market, the bread store, et cetera. But um not everybody wants to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's a burden and a hassle, and it, it's time-consuming. So if I can supply one grocery list, and you go to Rouse's, at the, where I was, was Kroger, you can get everything that you need and make everything in this book. So one of the things that I don't like about healthy
0: eating mm-hmm. is that instead of just making something that tastes good, that is healthy— everything gets remade, like make over this recipe and make it healthy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when vegans decide, okay, I'm going to become a vegan, but I'm going to miss this and this and this, so I'm going to have fake turkey and fake chicken and fake whatever else there is. And sometimes those things are so highly processed Super processed That it seems to me that it loses any health value that it has Now it may be that you've become a vegan because of animal rights Or things like that And that maybe you don't care about the processing But I care about the processing That's why I asked you about mayonnaise Yeah Um, And how, how do you keep that to a minimum? Because almost, you know, if you eat food that Comes in a jar mm-hmm. from the grocery store, as opposed to your jar that you yeah. put it in at home. It's almost impossible not to have some kind of preservatives in that yeah. food.
1: Yeah, my mom raised us to read the labels. Honestly, it sounds sort sort of old school and cliche, mm-hmm. but we were reading the labels, and she would talk about BHT and TBHQ, and mm-hmm. you don't want to you don't want to eat that stuff. And so, you know, I love like the Michael Pollan philosophy of Five ingredients or so on a label, nothing that can't be pronounced. Um, you know, eat close to the source, more or less. So, in in this book, there's a recipe actually called sun. It's called Sarah's Sunset Soup. It's probably in the middle, which is the soup and bread chapter.
0: And so, this is a cookbook that's called Counterintelligence: The Best of April's Kitchen.
1: So, yes, just yeah, because that that was the name of my column. And then my blog is April's Kitchen Counter, so it's all that kind of theme. Um, but it, I just felt like making it easy, approachable for people to get into the kitchen and and hopefully incorporate the kids into the fun because if they have a hand in making it, they will eat it. Yes,
0: I really, really believe in having children be part of the process yes. from the time that they can just be sit on the it. counter. I yeah. know, yeah, totally. and and also um i think that one of the things that's really good for children that comes out of being in the kitchen is not necessarily learning to cook or eating healthily or whatever which all of those things happen so i'm not i'm not discounting them but there's so much about the the family heritage and what happens when people get civilized by being in the kitchen yeah and learning how to set the table and looking forward to sitting with others and yeah. sharing the meal. Those are really, really important things that I think actually help keep you healthy. Because it's true. That's
1: part of the Mediterranean diet.
0: If you are eating at your desk all the time or on the go in your mm-hmm. car, and you never give your body time to produce whatever kinds of enzymes that it needs to, right. to properly... Um, Digest your food and it, if you're produ- producing too much cortisone and, uh, or cortisol or whatever. Yeah. And so the gut biome is never um, proper because it it's all uh, agitated sure. all the time and stuff like that. I think that that has as much to do with having a, a healthy it's um, true meal and, as then the as the food itself
1: it is one of the tenets of the mediterranean diet and i always thought mediterranean diet means oh it's got to be those mediterranean flavors but we learned at gold ring center it's it's just the philosophy of they actually count how many servings of fruits and vegetables but you give it like a a one so you're supposed to do seven of these things and one of the things is sitting at the table with friends family community um and, you know, so you get like, say, two or three points if you have two cups of vegetables. You get one point if you eat red meat. So you don't want to, you really want to just stick with seven, something like seven points. But it's not like the Weight Watchers points. It's just, it's pretty fascinating. And I am such a believer in sitting at the table. I didn't tell you this. I went, when I first moved here, I had a trip with that Molly set up for us to go. To Julia Child's home in the south of France. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I just moved here. I'm leaving my 16-year-old daughter, I mean, home with dad, which was fine. But also, I mean, we just moved and I'm, bye. I left for two weeks. <laughs> I had never been away from my kids for two weeks. And when I came back, they invented this new concept that they call stand-up dinner. And I was just appalled. I'm like, oh no, like dad and daughter in the kitchen, stand-up dinner. So if we do it on occasion these days, you know, we just laugh and call it stand-up dinner. But I mean, car dinner, maybe on a road trip, is you know, we didn't even do it when they were playing soccer and all that stuff because we, I mean, we lived kind of close enough that we could get home, and if someone had to reheat or whatever, they would. But we, family at the table is a huge one for us. Uh-huh. I, I think it's really so important, and we try and do that here at
0: the museum when people take lunch and we can't all take lunch at the same time so we can't have like family meal yeah. for for lunch because then you'd have to close the museum sure. but we do try to get away and sit someplace quietly and yeah. have a a little time when you're just enjoying your right? Eating. and yes. and
1: focus on you know yeah be mindful mm-hmm. yeah super important yes i just think it's it's so important
0: We actually got a a collection of books from someone who had gotten her Ph.D. about teaching children to cook. Oh, wow. And she was dipping into sociology and psychology to talk about what the benefits to the child were um, in terms of— Infinite. Yes. (laughs) But um, not only— uh, not only just in learning these traditions and learning how to cook, but also in understanding the benefits to yourself and others of sharing food mm-hmm. and um, all of the kinds of cultural things that you learn yeah. just by being in the kitchen. Yeah. It, it, there's a, another book that we recently received f- for our research center, that's written in Chinese and English—not, <laughs> sorry, Japanese and English. And it was book a book that was written during the period of, of occupied Japan after World War II. Wow. When there were a lot of Americans in Japan. They were service members and other people in government who were Americans going to live in Japan, and often they brought their families with them. Mm-hmm. So there are big differences between the way, especially then, between the way Americans lived and Japanese people lived. Things like we slept in beds. Right. And they didn't. And just, that's just a simple but big difference. Sure. And the chairs that we use were not cushions on the ground with a table that's like nine inches tall, but it's a table that's Um, two feet off the ground and your knees go under it Mm -hmm. and all of that. So this book explains American culture to the Japanese. And "Mm." (laughs) and, And it was because it was impossible for the Japanese people who were looking for jobs in the American homes and catering to what Americans wanted Mm-hmm. And they wanted to do that because they wanted to make money and they wanted to okay. um be able to um you know enjoy whatever fruits of having Americans there might be because nobody wanted the Americans there but if they were there you wanted to take advantage of it but nobody understood the Americans mm-hmm. and the way they lived and so if you read this okay it is I mean it is unbelievable about Things like making a bed and sleeping in a bed and sitting at a table and um, just all the different things that Americans eat and using forks and knives and not Uh, chopsticks and things. And uh, it's it's a fascinating perspective because we never think of ourselves the way we have to be explained to somebody Mm -hmm. else. Really, it's a fascinating, fascinating I would love to book. check that
1: out. My brother-in-law is from Japan, and he and my sister had a restaurant, a sushi restaurant in Florida for like 29 years, and they have three boys who were raised, you know, in Japanese culture, and they, the boys still go a lot and, and visit. Do they speak Japanese? No. Oh. That's, right? That's it's a shame. A, it yeah. is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. They're great kids. Well, <laughs> you
0: should ask him yeah. about this concept. Oh, well. Uh, because... Um it it is something that I think that it teaches I think um, it taught me more about Americans than it did about the did for the Japanese, I'm sure, because
1: I, I thought, well I never
0: thought about that. you it, right. We don't yeah. think
1: we're unusual or something, yes, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. It was fascinating. That is cool. And um and talked a lot about food. One, I know we're way off the subject, but this always happens, yes, so I it's understand. okay. Yes, it. understand. Um, one of the things that I think is so interesting about the difference between Asian food and more European food or American food is that American, or let's say European food, is much, a lot of the flavor comes from slow cooking. Mm-hmm. And so... Whether it's barbecue, which is cooked overnight, or mm-hmm. just all of these flavors develop over this long period of time. Whereas mm, a much Asian food is cooked quickly. Yeah, and like it's, flash cut, cooked. it's cut into small pieces, mm-hmm. not only so that it will cook fast, but so that you can pick it up with, with chopsticks. But it's flavored with things that have long...
1: Long, right, like the fermented, fermented things, things yeah, and things point. like
0: that. So the flavor still comes from that long period. Mm-hmm. It's just I hadn't it's, really analyzed it like that. So our mm-hmm. our gravy or whatever develops in the course of slow cooking, say right. the meat. Whereas theirs is often also more vegetable based. And but it's still like fish sauce and all of yeah. that. Um you add that and that's what's giving you flavor. You know, if you can make a, a soup stock out of miso, but the miso has fermented and turned brown mm-hmm. and, you know, all of these things, yeah. which are, are even soy sauce yeah. is long. I mean, it's just not made in five minutes, right. you know. And so I, I think it's it's always done with time. It's just when do you spend the time? Right. Do you spend the time yeah. creating condiments and additives not additives like chemical additives but th- add- building it kind yes, of yes yes or do you spend the time with every meal to make this long simmered kind of thing yeah and i just i as i started to think about those two things it still always involves time but sometimes the quickness of it by being able to flavor with things that have been Attended to yeah. previously is kind of a that a is nice very thing.
1: a very cool concept. I hadn't hadn't processed that in my mind.
0: But do you think that's, that's wrong? You, no,
1: I think you're absolutely right. And yeah, the fish sauce, soy sauce, miso. I mean, and tofu. You know, just pressed and cured. And
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, when you were talking about vegan, I had to. I'm going to give a little shout out to this recipe in my book called Sarah Sunset Soup, Okay. which is named after my oldest daughter Sarah. She named it. She was like the. It was. She was like ten years old. The colors are all red and yellow, like the sunshine. But it's a. It's like a tomato based, like I put fire roasted tomatoes in it usually. Tomato based broth, but it's flavored with some curry, put a little turmeric, really gives it that golden, uh-huh, the color. some cumin, uh-huh. and then it's chickpeas and potatoes, and you finish it with cilantro and lemon juice, and in 30 minutes with pantry ingredients, you have this delicious soup. And I actually made it yesterday, and over the weekend, I picked up beautiful corn from the farmer's market. I love the seasons here, like where you get this second wave of summer mm-hmm. crop. Yes, And so I bought this beautiful corn at the Red Stick Farmer's Market, and Chucked it and took it off the cob, made stock with the corn cobs and made some corn chowder. I still had a ton of this corn stock left over. So I tasted it and like it would go well in the sunset soup because it didn't it was almost a neutral flavor with just a little sweetness from the corn. And so that was my vegetable stock for that. So it was a totally like vegan soup, but very satisfying. And I'm not really advertised it as such unless someone needs it to be yeah, vegan. Uh- um So a lot of my recipes are just, you know, kind of flexible, more or less minimal amounts of meat in there. I mean, we eat meat and don't have any issues, but um, it's, you know, like Michael Pollan says, flavor your food with meat. You don't have to eat an entire steak, just Mm -hmm. have a little bit. So, um, like, I'll roast a chicken and make two other encore meals out of it. And that would feed our family of five three times. So I'm going to buy the best Nicest chicken, local, that I can get my hands on and pay a pretty penny for it. But I'm getting three meals out of it and, yeah. um, and yeah. feeling really good about it. And it's delicious. And, you know, you can tweak a roasted chicken and no, all yeah, that yeah. any which way.
0: So are you working on anything else right now? Oh,
1: well, funny you should ask. During my daughter's recovery at home in the year of 2021, I decided to write a book about all this experience because and actually I was working with a trauma survivor life coach who suggested it she said it needs to stop living inside you just get it out and maybe one day you'll publish it and you can help other people going through stuff so I kind of quickly within a year I wrote this manuscript and it's and then she said put it in the drawer and I'm like no I just want it I want it gone (laughs) yeah but she's like put it in the drawer and I did and it Once I'm done with school in May, I'll probably revisit it and change it a lot, I think, because I've learned so much about, like, the human spirit and condition in being in nursing school. And we do clinical days twice a week. So, I mean, I've been around a lot of people and families and people suffering or people joyful that they aren't suffering. It's, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just been really interesting and eye-opening. So, I'm working on that. I have a book partially under construction with my neighbor who's an astrophysicist and um we're doing like a a kid's cookie book like i'm not i'm not um opposed to sugar i just don't think you should be drinking maybe sugar soda pop all day long but make some cookies and make them with your children and learn about um the and constellations don't and don't 20 you know you're gonna make like this precious recipe of about a dozen cookies that follows something to do With astrophysics, A to Z. We started the book before the accident, and my Mondays just got freed up, so we decided we would start getting back together to do. She's on sabbatical this semester, she lives across the street from me, she's fascinating. Um, so we got that. I want to do more counterintelligence. You know, like, hmm, why did I go to nursing school? I really <laughs> need to do some writing. But like I said, no matter what, I'll, I'll be a great, like, I'll be a great grandma nurse. And, um, but I plan to work with, with this nursing degree, and I'm, you know, blessed to be doing it. And but it, happy. Seems, it
0: seems like you could do a lot of nutrition med- um, education yes. that will help people have better lives. Yep. That's and that's
1: my goal really. That
0: that then you can write about
1: that. <laughs> yes. And my professors actually they have witnessed this about me and they're like, do it, you do that. And don't worry about rocking the boat. Explode the boat. Mm-hmm. Like it's you know, you just we've gotta we're kind of at a crossroads in um in our health, right? You know, there's a lot right. of bad stuff going on.
0: And we actually don't need to learn about nutrition by learning that we need these things in isolation right. or anything like that. We just need to know broad strokes and make things taste good. Yeah,
1: wholesome food that's delicious and fun and, yeah have, yeah, have your treats. I mean, you can have a treat every day. But I just don't believe I was having a meal, a celebration meal with one of these um, youth activity clubs I was doing in West Virginia and they got they all got their glass of soda and the waitress is coming over and refilling them and I don't know how many, you know, times it got refilled or whatever, but at the end she said he wants dessert. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry, they already had dessert. And they looked at me and they were like, What do you mean? We didn't have dessert And I said, But you did. You had like three glasses of soda. That is that's straight sugar. And they were like, No, that's a beverage. So it's just that a little bit of like awareness. You you know, you're just having a drink, but it's it is pure sugar, mm-hmm. and um you know it's delicious on occasion. But
0: you can't only blame soda because no. if you had three glasses of lemonade, oh sure, or three glasses of sweet tea, or something of like course, that, it would be just of the same. Course. Yeah, and I so think true. sometimes we tend to make malign yeah, the soda yeah, pop and yeah. make that the right. demon. sugar. Yeah.
1: Actually, the in in healthcare the tagline is or in public health ssb sugar sweetened beverage just any any of that you know so if i'm going to get a a tea i'll get it unsweetened maybe i'll put a like if i self-serve put like one squirt of the sweetened tea into my into my cup and like i said i'm not i'm no saint i have my weaknesses Uh etc and my stuff and i don't even call it guilty you know when people start feeling guilty about uh, what they've yeah, eaten that's a whole yeah, yeah that's right. another rabbit hole right <laughs> but I love to cook I love to eat I love eating with people and friends and love meeting new people in that food space and when I came here wow it's just like cornucopia of amazing um culinarians and every respect everyone in my neighborhood like cooks I used to be in, in West Virginia I was the cook in my neighborhood and if someone needed to borrow you know Cilantro or something. I was the person they called, which I'm glad. Love sharing. I Uh mean, I throw out half my cilantro almost every time, right? Or you know, I should be get better about preserving.
0: And that's one of the other things we could talk about: (laughs) no waste kitchens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I'm surrounded by wonderful cooks in my neighborhood, and one of the families has a pizza oven, wood burning pizza oven in the backyard. Yeah, that we're. You know, we all play around with that. So, yeah, life is good. It is good.
0: Well, April, thank you so much. This has been
1: a great conversation. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure, Liz. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, a part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Subscribe to this and other food and drink-related podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to keep up with me, Liz Williams, you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter, also called Tip of the Tongue, for more information about this podcast, recipes, and just what is going on. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.